Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 144. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at Journeyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. We are pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, so uh, today is part four of our ever-lengthening discussion on Deep Work by Cal Newport. Um, If listeners haven't uh, listened to any of this yet, um, go ahead and check out part one, which is episode 141, where we discussed basically the first half of the book, which covered um, the why of Deep Work, like what the definitions of deep work are and the kind of the hypothesis of uh, the value of deep work. Uh, And then in episodes 142 and 143, we talked through the first rule of actually applying uh, the practical rule of applying deep work, uh, which was work deeply. Um, But there were many, many sub points and subtleties to that, which is why it took us two episodes to really talk through the entire thing. Today, we're actually going to cover the entirety of rule number two. But uh, first, I'll talk about the format. We're going to do some summarization of the definitions of deep work, shallow work, and cover the hypothesis and why we're even talking about this book. Um, And then we're going to do a little bit of summarization of the parts of the second rule on how to apply uh, and actually do deep work. Um, And we're going to take little breaks to answer some questions along the way. Namely, do we believe the point that's being made? Uh, Does it apply to each of us? Does it make us want to change? And what, if anything, do we anticipate changing? Uh, One thing we realized along the way uh, is that this is how we kind of want to read books deeply from now on. And we also wanted to kind of model that for um, our listeners. This book is kind of making a big impact on us and we wanted to kind of reread it with this format, you know, summarize big points, take notes on it, really react to it, understand what our reactions are and actually record those reactions and then record what we're going to try to change based on those reactions. I think, you know, it's not just uh, for this podcast that we're doing this, but we're going to try to do it for, you know, kind of the significant books in our lives uh, from here on out. And the ones that are relevant to our, you know, core topic of career progression, we might do this again, probably not, you know, maybe to this depth, or maybe it just depends on the book. So um, with that in mind, uh, Nick, do you want to talk us through like why we're even reading this book? Absolutely. So let's do definitions. What is deep work? Well, it's not work in a deep hole. I'll tell you that. It's professional activities performed in a state of distraction-free concentration that push your cognitive capabilities to their limit. These efforts create new value, improve your skill, and are hard to replicate. 
and that is the exact opposite of shallow work, uh, not to be done in shallow water necessarily, non-cognitively demanding tasks that are often done while distracted, which are easy to replicate and do not create a lot of value in the world. So with those two definitions in mind, Cal Newport makes the deep work hypothesis, which is the premise of this book. The ability to perform deep work is becoming increasingly rare at the same time it's becoming increasingly valuable in our economy. As a consequence, the few who cultivate this skill and make it the core of their working life will thrive. So for us, that was pretty compelling, and we wanted to bring that information to our listeners. We both agreed that, um, and that was kind of the beginning of us deciding to bring that to the podcast, right? Yeah, I mean... We want to create new value for you and for us. We want to improve our skills, and we don't just want to duplicate somebody else's jam. Absolutely. We want it to be hard to replicate. Rule number two, John, is embrace boredom. So what Newport says is that our ability to perform cognitively, cognitively demanding tasks with intense concentration actually needs training. It's a skill and not a habit. So we think that we can lead highly distractive lives and then turn on concentration when we need it. But studies show that that is wrong. Newport says, don't take a break from distraction. Instead, we should take breaks from focus. So if you train your brain to be distracted and you need that dopamine hit of changing tasks or seeking out a digital distraction, you're not going to be able to perform high-level deep work. So... What Newport says is we shouldn't schedule deep work. We should assume that everything is deep and then schedule the small times for shallow work. Ah, very cool. Yeah, so there's uh, some sub points to that, right? The first sub point is that this strategy works even if your job requires a lot of internet use and or you know prompt email replies. So you can schedule time blocks for those tasks. Just schedule them more frequently and uh, just make sure that you keep the discipline of actually scheduling those things and not just succumb to doing it whenever the urge hits you, right? So again, the idea is avoid that uh, dopamine hit. Um, do your deep work, maintain your concentration, and then if your time block actually says, hey, this is the time you're supposed to be responding to email or be you know, highly reachable, then uh, go ahead and do that in this block of time. The second point here is regardless of how you schedule your internet blocks, you must keep the, uh, the time outside of those blocks absolutely free from that highly connected use. So resist the temptation to get connected during deep work. Um, it's just too easy to you know pick up your phone to to grab you know a key piece of information that's only stored there and then while your phone is up you say oh maybe i'll just go uh check and see how the sports scores are going or what the latest trends on twitter are or maybe that news feed in facebook um if you're blocked because of a piece of information that you don't have that you need to get connected to obtain, then just switch to a different offline activity and, you know, add that to the list of, you know, preparation things that you do. Make sure you have all that information that's a, uh, that you're going to need the next time you work on that task. That is pretty rough, uh, pretty strict at the beginning, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, the third point is that, you know, scheduling internet use at home as well as work can further improve your concentrated concentration training. 
So you can't just leave work and abandon your good behaviors any more than a professional athlete can train all day and then go home and ignore the diet that they need to support their top performance. You can't let your brain get wired for distraction during your time off. So again, that's another reference to just, hey, you know, it's outside of uh, work hours. So now I'm going to, you know, start doom scrolling, just, you know, use YouTube as your entertainment channel or, you know, just start scrolling through Netflix previews and, and or whatever distracted behavior you happen to uh, engage in. And if you are a doom scroller out there, definitely tweet out at us at Nerd Journey, hashtag doom scrolling. I would there love to see that, as would John. <laughs> so on to our reactions. Like, do I believe this point? It makes total sense to me. Um, I absolutely believe it. it you know, the idea that your brain circuits, the ones that you train the most are the ones that we fall back on using. So if you're training yourself to be highly distractible, oh, you think of something and then you just indulge yourself in that, like that circuit in your brain, that behavior is going to be highly trained, highly efficient. It's going to fire really, really quickly. And, you know, it's going to be super easy to indulge yourself. That jolt of dopamine that you talked about, you know, that comes from doing that like that if you train yourself to need that then it just makes sense that you know doing actual deep work highly concentration you know that takes high levels of concentration you know that's just going to be more and more difficult so totally understand uh this uh this you know i believe it very very strongly how about you i find this one really interesting i think in general that we as adults, humans are really afraid of being bored in a lot of ways. It again makes me think back to Tom Hollingsworth in episode 127 where he just continually felt the need to do something. For him it wasn't necessarily doom scroll or anything like that. He just needed to be doing something. But I felt like the concept was kind of similar. We have this need to fill that downtime with something, some sort of distraction to keep busy and you know, I definitely buy into the the need to train ourselves. And Newport says that it's a skill, not a habit. But I think that the building of the habit trains the skill. And that's the dependency chain that that works here. And when we build those new habits in the right way, as he says, structuring the time blocks, then it won't encourage us to seek the distractions in our downtime. Yeah, that's a really good point and a really interesting take on it, I guess. I mean, as you were talking, I think it just reminded me of, I don't know, it might have even been listening to Cal Newport's podcast, um, Deep Questions, where he like said, you know, at no other point in our, in our history as humans, have we had like devices in our hands that we could hold that were built by social scientists to distract us and just grab our attention endlessly and to monetize that. Right. So the idea that, you know, you should just not indulge yourself in that is super compelling. And now that I think about it, I think when I was a lot younger and I hadn't been diagnosed with uh, ADD attention deficit disorder, I always carried around a paperback book 
And that is what I use to distract myself. So if I didn't like what was going on in class, I would just read my book. I mean, in the middle of class, right? Like it, it was not good. Um, and, uh, you know, I think television works the exact same way, right? You just, uh, binge watch like a Netflix show or an Amazon prime show or, you know, Disney plus show, whatever reading news feeds. Uh, I remember playing solitaire on my phone, like a solitaire card game on my mobile phone as like a distraction. And every time, you know, I completed the game, it was like, oh, I feel good about myself. Okay. Do it again. And then, you know, two minutes later, oh, I, you know, I just completed it again. I feel good about myself. And that was this exact behavior of, you know, just needing that hit of dopamine and distraction. And I would do that everywhere while I was waiting for something like waiting in line. And I don't have that app on my phone anymore, but that's more like an accident than intentional. And, uh, and now that I think about it, I do other behaviors, you know, like reading news feeds, like reading Google news, reading, um, newspapers, you know, while I'm in a waiting room, while I'm waiting for a meeting to start and all of those things, you know, are specifically, you know, avoiding boredom. I think now that I think about it, I'm even late to things because I'm afraid to get to a place early because I'll be bored waiting. I didn't even really think about that before. So yeah, this is, you know, the end of John therapy hour, but, um, yeah, uh, we are here for you, John, whatever you need to talk about, <laughs> we're here for you. It really makes me think about all the behaviors in my life that are driven by this, like avoidance of boredom. Maybe let's move on. Or maybe I, I've implicitly been implicitly been talking about the next point, which was, does this apply to me? Right? So obviously, yes. And, uh, I think I just talked through all of that. Right. So how about you, Nick? I think it does. And for me, I think one of the worst things is checking email again when I have just a second, you know, mm. check, the, check the email. I think that's an addiction for me. Uh, I just need to break that a little bit. And I feel like when I get up from my desk, you know, you're working from home, you get up from your desk, get a drink, maybe have a, a very quick snack. I might check Twitter and LinkedIn on my phone. I don't linger there necessarily. I just look. I don't know why I need to look necessarily, but I end up doing that. It's like this compulsive need to look. And it's not that I've, I find myself 30 minutes later and I've wasted a bunch of time, but I, I'm not present in the five minutes that I'm taking a break to, to be present with something that's not work. You know what I mean? Complete irony. Yeah, absolutely. So you're taking a break from work, but you're also distracting yourself from the actual break. Yeah. Like you're exactly. filling your time with something else. Yeah. That sounds very familiar to me. That's, I definitely do that too. So, all right. I think the next question is, does it make me want to change behavior? Um, I think obviously it does. Um, yeah, same. <laughs> would it be okay if we just said yes to that and move on to the last question? <laughs> <laughs> what will I change to align myself with this idea? Well, I think I need to, you know, check my use of that news app. Um, maybe uninstall it, uh, block it. Um, so that's, you know, 
the thing I think I just mentioned I use to distract myself the most. Um, and I'm not sure what the point of it is, you know, like I, there, my need to be up to date with the most current of current events is really not that high. Like that doesn't affect my life in any way that I understand. Like if I read the news, like once a day as maybe part of breakfast, almost like reading the newspaper while eating breakfast, like that would probably be okay. Or during like a specific coffee break, you know, in the morning, um, maybe that would be okay to like block off a specific, you know, area of time to say, Oh, this is when I'm going to catch up on like, you know, world news and not like entertainment news, but like actual, you know, current events in the world. But it probably doesn't even need to be every day. It could be twice a week probably and I'd still be fine, right? If, you know, there's probably enough like spillover talking to other people to, you know, find out stuff that, you know, important goings on in the world, you know? So um, I think just keeping that tight schedule on stuff like that and maybe YouTube, like that is, you know, my like video consumption and, you know, it's very, very easy for me to go from video to video to video, like recommended five minute video to another recommended five minute video and, and so on and so forth for like hours. And that's, you know, again, it just feels like distraction again. Now, if I went through and scheduled like a block of like 20 to 30 minutes of videos where I'm saying, okay, here, I'm programming exactly what it is that I'm watching, watch through that, enjoy it, and then maybe sit and think and react to it. Um, you know, write down some of my reactions. Maybe, you know, that's my combination of like, you know, catching up on the news too. Um, you know, that's a little bit different from just like kind of endlessly chaining like related video to related video. Even if I see something that's recommended, like maybe it would make sense to like, add it to the queue of things and like strictly keep a schedule of like only 30 minutes rather than just like, you know, going from recommendation to recommendation. I don't know. Those are the two things that I can think of like right away. Um, I think I've already turned off my email notifications. Um, so I think my addiction to email is a lot lower. Um, I kind of, don't want to use email as my task list. And I've avoided, I think I've successfully moved off of email as my kind of task organization system. So I feel pretty good about that. But yeah, newsfeed and YouTube. Nice. Yeah. I think that for me, I may need to log out of Twitter and LinkedIn on my phone apps. Because I did this with Facebook before we did this podcast. I can't remember if it was in between my readings of deep work. But at one point, I changed my Facebook password and I decided, you know what? I'm not going to log back into it on my phone because I find that I waste too much time there. It'll turn into 10 minutes, just a quick check. And I'm like, no, I don't like that. I just wasted 10 minutes that I could have been asleep, you know, usually at night sometime. I don't want that. So maybe I need to do that or maybe I should just leave my phone in my office when I get up to take a break. It doesn't have to be with me. You know, it's not attached to my body. It doesn't have to be in my pocket. And I'm not so important that 
I can't hear the ringer if someone calls me from the other room. So being away from the phone for five minutes is not a huge deal to take a short break. And and I think as far as the structuring and scheduling, I, I probably just need to work on that in general. I have done better about closing down email for a little bit to try and focus, but it seems like there's this subconscious grinding away of I need to know what's coming in. Maybe that goes away after a while, but that's what's happening right now. Yeah, I think what I found was that I was depending on email notifications to remind me to do things. Ah. Also, like like the emails that had already been sent, like that I didn't delete or archive out of my inbox, was kind of my reminder to do things. Right. That's how I knew that I needed to do something was because it was in my inbox. So once I took it out of the inbox, like, and then made it a task, like I, I think Outlook has tasks that I think you can create from an email, right? So if you like just move your task organization system from single threaded inbox to single threaded, you know, Outlook task, then it's not you're checking your inbox to remind yourself, like, I, you know, I, I don't know what it is for you, but for me, it was always that I, you know, I can't remember everything. I know that I'm forgetting something. So I'm just trying to remind myself what's going on by looking at my email to make sure that somebody isn't reaching out to me because I've forgotten to do something critical. And it was just that kind of low level anxiety all the time. So now that I'm creating a task. I always create a deadline and that deadline shows up in my calendar. Right. Um, so I know I'm not forgetting anything like that's just like the most simple and rudimentary task management system that you can have. Yeah. It's that's an email is not a task, right? A task is a task, a task and it can be task. based on an email and it can be linked to an email, but that email is not the task. I don't think for me, it's so much. I'm afraid I'm forgetting. It's a fear of, oh, I'm not going to be responsive enough. It's this like innate need to be super responsive. And I think that is my own issue and not the expectation. Yeah, I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Now I'm on the couch, John. I'm getting off the couch. <laughs> well, that's why I would never walk away from my phone because I would... I would say, oh, if you need to reach me, you know, sending me a text and then escalating to calling me would be the way to reach me, right? Not via email. Mm -hmm. I would never send somebody an email and expect a response within like two minutes. Like it's an offline communication method. You know what I mean? But if I was calling somebody or leaving them a voicemail, it shows a little bit more urgency or war dialing them, right? Call hang up, call, hang up, call, hang up until they pick up. That is a real emergency. Like that's yeah. what I would expect somebody to do in an actual emergency, right? Oh, one of your loved ones is in danger or something has happened. I'm going to call you until you answer the phone. Yeah. Right. Makes sense. If I was in a, if I was in a work meeting and I saw, you know, somebody call me four times in a row, Probably the fifth time I would say, guys, somebody's trying to reach me. I need to break away just in case it's an emergency. That's how I'd react. Yeah, I think that's perfectly fair. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I should publish that to people, though. I just kind of expect that everybody knows that, which is probably not fair. <laughs> it's a good point. The assumptions we make that may or may not be true. Yeah, 
Yeah. All right. Maybe move on to the next section. Works for me. Okay. So the next point here is to work like Teddy Roosevelt. And if you don't know how Teddy Roosevelt worked, he actually went to went to school and he had these super short periods of intense concentration with no breaks, no distractions, and he was still able to complete his classwork, an amazing amount of work in such a short period of time, and he, he gave himself a tiny amount of time to do it. So you you should try to do the same thing every now and then. I think he said maybe do this to yourself once a week. But emphasize the intense concentration and not necessarily the short periods. Kind of puts that pressure on you. Another one is meditate on a professional problem while you're engaged in mostly a mindless physical task, like going for a walk. Maybe you're folding laundry. And continue that intense focus. One suggestion for this is to be wary of distractions and looping. So if something else pops into your mind... You need to redirect your thoughts back to the problem you need to focus on. That's an important one. And then the second suggestion under this is to structure your deep thinking. So we want to review what the variables of the problem were that you're working on, define the next step, question you need to answer, and think about that. At the end of your time, whenever that is, Consolidate your gains and make sure you know the answer you came to or the progress you made. Record it. Record your progress. And I'll let you take this last one. All right. Yeah. The last point is to, well, I think the title of the last point was Memorize a Deck of Cards. And um, he gave the example of uh, people who were doing, uh, engaged in other cognitively demanding work. So um. I think the point here is engage in other cognitively demanding activities that can help you in your deep work process. So it acts like additional training. And the examples that he gave were um, memorizing a deck of cards, and there's like a a specific methodology to do that. Um, I think, wasn't there another um, example of a man who converted to orthodox judaism like pretty like late in his life and he was engaged in like the serious study of the torah which goes along with that so mm-hmm. like that activity was incredibly cognitively demanding and as he improved in that he found that he was able to improve other parts of his work life right so it's this idea of have another hobby in your life or some other like non-work activity that is also cognitively demanding and that will keep you you know focused on that type of work or that kind of uh, training and ability outside of your work life or if you do want to learn how to memorize a deck of cards just read moonwalking with einstein by joshua foer and he talks about the memory palace technique that you can use uh, fascinating book yeah that was the exact uh, reference in deep work as well. And he even talks a little bit about um, the technique, the memory, memory palace technique um, in deep work. Um, but yeah, I think reading Moonwalking with Einstein is uh, kind of a cool thing. <laughs> uh, it was a fun, fun read. So how about these uh, questions and reactions? Uh, do I believe this? Um, for me, I believe parts of it. 
I think I feel suspicious of the work like Teddy Roosevelt section because it feels a little bit like the journalistic philosophy of deep work, which was, you know, um, on a dime shift into this intense deep work period of time without any warning. So that time pressure, I understand, but I'm, I'm always suspicious of it, right? Because it's that applying pressure upon yourself, like, like, ramping up the like almost the anxiety circuits to get yourself to work um, by limiting time and it also for me it might act as like an excuse to procrastinate until it's pretty late to do the project and say oh well now i only have one day to do it and that this is a tactic not a mistake that i've made so um i'm a little bit concerned about you know giving myself uh, an excuse to do that but I do like the idea of the meditative um, process and doing something physical while you're also engaged in, you know, just thought, no writing, no reading, but a physical activity like taking a walk um, and maybe even taking a walk through nature, right? Which was one of the tactics about, you know, refreshing yourself. Um, a, little, a little bit earlier on in the book. Um, you know, just that idea of um, you know, just continuing that process, even when I'm not in front of a computer, like that, that all sounds really, really good to me. The idea of adding a cognitively demanding, like non-work activity, like a hobby, a little bit scary, but I totally understand it, right? So I might or might not have mentioned before on the podcast that I am a swing dancer. It used to be like a fairly serious hobby of mine. And learning how to do that was an intensely cognitive activity. Like the physicality was one part of it, but like you just had to think through that um, and, you know, remember like how to do things or like, you know, even learning how to do a dance move you know, move one, move two, move three, move four, and then have the teacher give it to you in not the order that you learned it in. And you just have to remember it. It's like, do this, then this, then this, then this, then this, then this, then this. I remember a colleague of mine or a friend who was learning at about the same time tell me once, I used to not be able to remember directions to a place. And uh, he couldn't visualize uh, a set of directions until after he learned how to swing dance, after which he was pretty good at that. So it kind of goes along with this theory of like, you know, adding this other cognitively demanding activity can improve your functions in other areas. So um, do I believe it? Absolutely. <laughs> how about you? Well, I like the idea of the short burst honestly, and putting some pressure on yourself. Unlike me. However, I like the idea. Remember I said I like the idea. <laughs> I think I would have to test it because I feel like it would up my stress level. And I wonder if the increase in stress level would actually make my ability to concentrate go down because I'm because the perfectionist in me is going, oh, this isn't enough time to finish this. And I don't know. There would be an internal struggle there that I'd have to experiment with quite a bit. And I really like the idea of structuring your deep thinking. 
I think that it is sort of that next level shutdown routine, but for the deep thinking and not the end of the workday. That's how I thought about it, at least. Yeah, I like that. Actually, when you were talking, it reminded me of something else from, I think it was Your Brain at Work by David Rock. And he talks about how your brain actually needs like a balance of stress hormones and like reward hormones. And that might have been like dopamine and norepinephrine. Um, I don't remember exactly what the details were, but it was just like, it's like finding that balance of engagement and like excitement, but not too much excitement, you know, that to that like stress and inhibition level, like where it starts to become destructive and not too much of the reward hormones where you just start seeking that out at the cost of actually doing the thing. So I'll have to find that reference and maybe drop it into the show notes. So how about does this apply to me? I think so. Like I can look at these things and go, yeah, I'm not doing enough of some of this stuff, right? Definitely not the meditation. Definitely not the hobby. Not during uh, during the quarantine, during the lockdown, eh, during social isolation time. That's probably a better, more accurate descriptive way of doing uh talking about how we've been living for the last 18 months or whatever haven't been swing dancing that's that's all shut down as far as i'm concerned so yeah the cognitively demanding things outside of work have not been happening i i have to say maybe my approach to reading this book and other books have started in on that so maybe Maybe that. So maybe I am part of the way there. But for the most part, I do think that it applies to me. How about you? Well, I think so. I like to take walks most days of the week outside around the neighborhood. And I find that when I do that, I'll either listen to an audiobook because I love audiobooks, or I'll just let my mind wander. And sometimes it'll naturally focus in on something for a little bit, but it's that stream of consciousness jump to this, to that. And I don't know that I really have tried to say, okay, I'm going to focus on this thing on the walk and nothing else and try and fight my brain to focus on just that. We know that exercise stimulates the brain. And as you mentioned, being out in nature helps as well, possibly give you some, some good ideas. So yeah, definitely applies. Cool. I think that maybe we should just start consolidating the next two questions together um, sure. Does it make me want to change my behavior? Yes, yes. <laughs> I think for the most part. Um, and what will I change to align myself with this idea? I think that I need to start adding meditative walks. Um, so I have like, you know, relatively green spaces in and around where I live. Um, and I'm working from home right now. So to be able to schedule some of my deep work time, to be away from sitting in front of the computer makes a lot of sense. So I can say, okay, I'm going to schedule my time, like the first 30 minutes of this, uh, this uh, hour block that I have blocked off to, to take a walk and think about problem X. Um, I can definitely do that. As for adding a cognitively demanding hobby, 
that is harder. But I think that it's worth doing. Maybe I will pursue my reading a little bit more um, in a little bit more structured manner. Like, say, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna read a chapter a night um, during the week, and maybe give myself one or two nights off a week from doing that. But I'm always going to read at least a you know five to six chapters during the week and and try to do that most every day almost every day that that might be getting myself you know back into the cognitively demanding swing of things how about you so yes it makes me want to change my behavior and i like i said before i feel like my subconscious is already grinding away on problems when i'm doing something else whether i want it to or not but again i need more focus there I actually invested in the Calm app to help with anxiety. And I, they actually they have some really good focus music too. You know, it's just instrumental. I like it. Nice calm piano music. It's it's pretty good. I enjoy listening to that. But when you do one of the meditations in the app, you know, it's not all woo woo get weird kind of thing. It's focus on your breath and be present during this time so that you're not distracted help your mind come back to this one thing and i think that's the same sort of focus you're after to think about a problem and if you practice those things you know these are like short 10 minute meditations maybe that you can do anytime sometimes i'll listen to one while i'm walking and just breathe deeply and you can kind of feel your muscles relax and stuff while you do this but your brain focuses on a, a specific thing so i think Part of it is not only the focus, but the, the being present so you can focus. So I'm going to keep doing the meditation. That is an excellent idea. I think uh, I think I might try to do that as well. I think I, I have um, a different app for that accomplishes the exact same thing um, with some like um, be present meditations. Um, recently, my team did one at a, kind of an online team meeting. And I found it incredibly helpful, like it very energizing. Um, and it also helped really clear my mind of a lot of clutter, right? To just think about myself focusing on breath. Um, always surprising that that type of thing actually works. Yeah. But, you know, it definitely did for me. And you could, you know, if, if you wanted to, listeners, you could do that as part of your work shutdown routine if you needed to help empty your mind or even before bedtime. A lot of times yeah. that's when I find myself doing it to to ease off into sleep without a racing mind. It doesn't mean your yeah. your mind won't switch gears on you. You know, it takes practice. And they'll, they'll even say, thank you for your practice. Yeah, I think that... Um... You know, it goes back to that idea of like, you know, recognizing when you are distracted, like when you're trying to meditate to say, oh, I've just become distracted. I recognize that and then try to get back to the like the actual act of being present or whatever mm -hmm. it is you're trying to accomplish. Um, makes a lot of sense. Like that is a really good thing. I think I just looked it up. The app that I use is uh, Headspace. And I looked at it and immediately said, hey, it's been a while since we saw you. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to distract myself with that right now. But um, Yeah, don't let that get into your headspace. 
One thing I'll mention real quick, if if you're someone whose workplace has a health and wellness benefit, you may be able to use that to pay for a subscription to one of these apps. So ask about that before you pay for it yourself, or maybe they'll reimburse you. It's not expensive, but ask. Yeah, really good idea. And maybe if you don't have that benefit, ask your boss if you can uh, expense it anyway. There you go. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. So, um, how about some like summary thoughts just on this, this rule that we've covered, uh, for today's episode. Um, again, the, the title of the rule was embrace boredom. Uh, for me, the idea that we need to kind of restructure our lives around avoiding distraction was pretty compelling. So I really liked the kind of on the nose advice you know, here's the things to watch out for, avoid doing this, do this instead. Very, very helpful. Um, just, you know, thinking back, this is like the second or third thing that it's kind of, you know, Cal Newport has kind of pointed out that was like kind of a big ask, right? To just let yourself be, you know, bored sometimes because that's important for you to be able to like exercise the resistance against distraction it's a big ask and you know sometimes like the things that are worth doing are able to be identified by how difficult it seems to do or how unreasonable it seems on the face of it it do it's not actually that unreasonable right to just say oh okay you have a two-minute break why don't you just sit there for two minutes instead of checking your phone why don't you just think about you know what it is that you need to do or how you're feeling right now and not just, you know, indulge in, you know, watching a YouTube video or checking your newsfeed on any of a various number of apps. Like it, it's actually quite reasonable to not do that. Right. But it just feels unreasonable at first. It seems worthwhile to me. Agreed. The, the structure to, to your personal time, I didn't say anything about that before, but I was looking it up and Don Jones mentioned in episode 138 that he time blocks some a period to do Q&A on some online forums to go and contribute to the community. And I think that when I was a lot more active in the Spiceworks community, that was my doom scroll. I would... I would get lost in answering questions and look up and it's, you know, 45 minutes later. You know what I mean? Regardless of what time of day it might have been, maybe it was during my lunch break or at home at night or even even while I was trying to find the answer to something that was that I was doing for work. So it it's uh, it was like a black hole and I didn't put any limits on it at the time. So that that kind of thing is is good. Uh, I like the introduction of of structure at at the at this meta level, but man, it just sounds completely overwhelming to structure a high frequency of checking email during the day. You know what I mean? Like if you want to check it every 30 minutes or every 15 minutes, whatever you need to do, it just seems like a lot of work on the front end. And then maybe you get the reward after you get the structure in place and it's just a routine. Yeah. I think, I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying. Like, you know, don't, check your email except for every 30 minutes. I think what he's saying is don't check your email except for every like three hours. Well, except for when you plan to check it. Don't do an unplanned check. Right. 
you could Got you it. could plan to check it every 30 minutes but if it's not a time to check email don't do it you got to train yourself to resist the temptation right, right that is the that's the secret sauce and one other thing i want to say is and i should have mentioned this in a previous episode I feel like this period of deep work is exactly what Tom Limoncelli was trying to encourage us to do when we find that hour of of the day that we're supposed to protect in time management for systems administrators. Absolutely. Your, your golden time where you would focus on the most important thing you need to do, like that's deep work. Yeah, absolutely. And it took me reading this book to figure out, okay, that's what he meant. I yep. couldn't do it then. Maybe I can do it now. Well, I think it's like, you know, you need a bunch of different coaches sometimes to say the you know similar things until it lands right and then you get the benefit of all those different coachings like kind of all at once as you know that piece of advice sinks in so i think that is exactly why i found this book so compelling right like you know some of the advice from getting things done like landed a lot better. Some of the advice from your brain at work landed a lot better. Some of the advice from a bunch of different books that I've read landed in a way that, you know, I didn't find them like as compelling because they, maybe it wasn't linked to like something, an outcome that I, you know, found, you know, as interesting as, Hey, you're going to have like an economic advantage um, over everybody else by following this advice. <laughs> Maybe that's what I needed. No, it's 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 more than that. It, it was just that like almost every single like actionable thing like it felt like it applied to me. And um yeah, I I I do want to say that listening to the Deep Questions podcast, you know, Cal Newport's podcast, he definitely says that you should not time block your family time. Right. So I I can understand like time blocking. Hey, I want to only, you know, answer like online forum questions during this time and protect the rest of my time as family time. Right. But he's saying he was explicitly saying don't time block your family time and don't necessarily time block your weekends. Like you can have like general structure like, oh, I'm going to, you know, um, take a long walk with my family and, you know, be 100% present with them, but don't, you don't have to say, okay, that's going to be from, you know, 845 to 1215 and, uh, and nothing else can happen like that. Like he said, he was kind of saying that's too far, right? You know, you can have like a separate organizational system that you and your family use, but time blocking probably isn't it. (laughs) Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I have to say that like, getting off the email addiction it you know feel it felt exactly like the any other like distraction right like um not checking facebook feed not checking like my google news feed not checking um any number of forums that i used to follow like very very you know um rigorously (laughs) as you said um or in the way that you described so yeah, email exactly the same way. I think I'm just, I feel like I've already gone through that process. Um, and that involved also, <laughs> I will say this, it involved like kind of going through a bunch of email filters to say, I'm getting a lot of email and not a lot of it is important. 
So if I check it every two hours and I only get like five pieces of important email, then it feels worthwhile. But it's almost like, you know, an important function of checking email very, very often is to kind of do a manual filter, if that makes sense to say, oh, I need to prioritize. Okay, this isn't important. It can be deleted or it's not important. It can be archived um, or put in this file for possibly later, but probably never. You know, like there's that kind of manual filter. And I think I automated a lot of that, um, not because like I'm a super smart guy, but because I took the advice of a super smart woman who like had an entire talk about that um, when I joined Google. She's like, you're going to be on a bunch of mailing lists. Every time you find yourself on a mailing list, like, you know, set an auto filter for the mailing list and then set a reminder to check that mailing list. I don't know, once a week. <laughs> nice. You know, um, how many, how many do you need to see like a windwire announcement? Like, act, act, like immediately after it crosses your, your desk and, and into your inbox. Well, yeah, or... John, it's a new email. It needs to be open right then. Don't you understand? <laughs> I think some of us are still in the detox process. Maybe. <laughs> Well, I don't want you to feel judged. Like I am judging. But I, I feel, feel heavy judged. judgment. Yeah, yeah. That's because I am judging you. But I want. I don't want you to feel judged. Right. It's like backhanded judging. I get it. I get it. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else before we uh, quit for the evening? No. In the spirit of embracing boredom, we should definitely shut this baby down. Just a reminder again, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Don't forget to hashtag doomscrolling. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at NerdJourney. All right. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, at Journeyman for Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore, signing off. Be bored. Don't be a doomscroller. scroller.